Girl. Hi. Quick update. What's happening? So the other day I put Daisy down for a nap. Oh God. You know, sometimes she has bad dreams about Big Bird. Literally, sometimes like no. she'll wake up crying like Big Bird was so mean to me. Ugh, but she loves Grover. <laughs> Grover's her man. I know. I know. So the other day she wakes up and, and she's like clearly upset. And I'm just assuming Aww. that it's a bad dream about Big Bird. And I'm like, baby, what's wrong? And she goes, daddy, I woke up and there was a man brushing my hair. No. And I said, who was it? And she said, it was a ghost. You have to move. You have to. Why wasn't your response like, Steve, everyone, like, get the luggage. We're out of here. I love the ghost is obviously gay, though, and, like, obsessed with her hair. I mean, if she's going to be haunted by anybody. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> All right, so, hi, Jillian Pensavale. Hey, Patrick Hines. Girl, I, you know, okay, listen, you know how, like, when I take my notes, like, I'll put things in bold if they're important, and, like, bold and capitalize if they're more important, and then bold, capitalize in red, and then now I had to, like, use other colors, like, bold, capitalize in green. My notes are an actual gay pride flag Christmas tree. <laughs> It is a rainbow hot mess up in here. You have feelings about this. Like I had about I know. like everybody else that we've talked to. Hashtag Julian Pensavale feelings. I have them today. <laughs> what on earth are we talking about? We are talking about the death of Meredith Kircher and the Amanda Knox trial. As I like to call it, the Noxumentary. <laughs> oh my God. Perfect. Listen, if there's going to be dad humor anywhere, it has to be at the top. Well, yeah. If I'm guilty, it means that I am the ultimate figure to fear because I'm not the obvious one. The girl known as Foxy Noxie. Everyone is talking about it. I mean, it was a feeding frenzy for everyone. What more would you want in a story? I mean, all you're missing is the royal family and the Pope. I've known her only for five days. Did you kill Meredith? How did things get to this point? If I'm innocent, it means that everyone's vulnerable. And that's everyone's nightmare. Either I'm a psychopath in sheep's clothing, or I am you. Okay, should we just we just need to jump in? Yeah, there's there's too much to to, to, to not dilly just dally. We got to do this. <laughs> there's no time to waste. Exactly. So we're gonna kind of go through this the way the movie does. It's kind of like a. I think they do a really good job of like always letting us know who we're talking about and where we are in time. So the first thing that they do is sort of introduce us to the main players and, of course, like the main character being Amanda Knox. Right. Who is really the main storyteller yes. of this whole situation. Which is a get for Netflix. I mean, like, obviously she worked with them in conjunction on this documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We sort of we get her, Amanda's own backstory from Amanda, right? Before Italy, I had a happy life. Like, she talks about how she kind of grew up sort of, like, shy and saying that she didn't ever really do things for herself. I didn't depend on myself much. And I felt like it was very important for me to get out of my comfort zone and see if that made me turn into an adult. And so what did she decide she wanted to do? Hightail it to Italy and, <laughs> and get some worldly experience. Italy has so much history. Ruins, art, vineyards, and I thought, I will find myself in this new place. So one of the things that we see a lot during this time is like a flash, like it's kind of like a video of her getting ready to go to Italy. And she's like 
blonde and like kind of cute and she thinks men are delicious i swear to god i don't know what it is about people who think that guys are not attractive physically but and again all of these people have all of this footage of them <laughs> for their true crime documentary she dubbed herself foxy, foxy Noxie, everybody she i mean she did that that was her it was again so are you excited to go live in italy fucking yeah bitch her whole world is in front of her yeah basically she's just like and she's just so quirky weirdo and who is the first person to admit that amanda knox (laughs) right that's not a crime (laughs) i'm half italian but italy come on we have to talk about your whole situation here we do oh listen is this gonna be personal well no i mean i just look there are flaws everywhere i just feel like you guys You go back and forth, you convict her, and then you don't, and then you do, and then you don't. Right. All right, well, listen. She gets on a plane, she goes to Italy, and she is shocked to find out how, like, lax her program is. I was expecting that I was going to be part of this scholarly program, and it was zero work. She, like, is bored in Italy and has nothing to do, so she gets a job at a bar. Mm -hmm. Patrick Lumumba was trying to get his bar off the ground. And he hired me, hoping it would bring in customers. And she's just, like, living it up with her roommates. Like, her, this, like, beautiful British girl named Meredith Kircher, her Mm -hmm. other roommates and friends that she's meeting. I was living with these Italian women and a a British girl my age who was super sophisticated. And we had this beautiful house that overlooked this valley. Like, I was owning it. (laughs) And then she... Falls in love <laughs> with Raffaele Silicido. Yep. <laughs> compared to compared to so many other guys who were just automatically like, "Hey, baby," like he was super nice, and I was completely charmed. And yeah. So we kind of get like the end of their introduction when we see like all of a sudden like Meredith, the roommate, is dead, and Amanda and Raffaele have called the cops. So we'll get back to them in a minute. Right. So the next person we meet, can you say this idiot's name? Yeah, Giuliano Manini. Fine. Henceforth, <laughs> idiot prosecutor. Fine. <laughs> I hate this man. Yeah, he's a little aggressive, huh? <laughs> Dal primo momento io vidi due ragazzi. I love any prosecutor who, like, determines his moral compass on the job by, like, his Catholic beliefs. And who also makes the decision first and then goes back and tries to prove it. That's right. Not, no, no, no. That's backwards. <laughs> so what he says, he says... I'm a Catholic, so I believe two things that are hard to reconcile. That God runs the world, and also that man has free will and must be held responsible for their acts. Does That, that includes you, right? Idiot right. prosecutor? <laughs> cool. Just want to make sure. So this is the guy who's about to make Amanda Knox's life a living hell for no reason. Mm-hmm. And then we also, then like the next major player that we meet is a guy named, uh, I'm pretty sure that his, his business card reads Nick Pisa, scumbag reporter. Or Nick Pisa, garbage. <laughs> Get it? Ooh, that was a good that was a yeah, good one. I can make dad jokes too, you guys. <laughs> a murder always gets people going. It was a particularly gruesome murder, throat slit, semi-naked, blood everywhere. I mean that what more do you want in a, in a story? I mean, all you're missing is maybe, I don't know, the royal family and the Pope or something like that as well. He's not a journalist. He works for the freaking Daily Mail, which right. is a gossip rag, everybody. Totally. And he's just like, as a journalist, that's just what I do. I get to the story. And I'm yeah. like, you're a dick. To get the, the facts, you've got to be on the scene, really. You've got to be Johnny on the spot. He's the worst. I would like to see the shirtless jogging photos if they exist. <laughs> 
just saying. No, he's a monster. And he laughs about it. Like, he just thinks it's hilarious. Like, isn't it hilarious how I just ruin people's life by calling them sluts? <laughs> isn't it hysterical? And I'm like, no. No, Nick. I also love that Nick thinks that he, like, makes stars out of people. Like, we were all camped outside the mortuary waiting for the pathologist to come out. I spoke good Italian. And I think also they like the fact that, wow... I've got a British journalist talking to me. I'm, I'm, I'm now a big star as well. So he thinks he's so charming and that right. he's just doing his job. And he even says at one point, what else was I supposed to do? Right. Not be a piece of garbage. I did Google the, the shirtless jogging photos. There are n- not any. <laughs> just to be clear, everybody. So you guys don't even bother. Okay. Thank you for doing the hard work. My pleasure. Thanks. To see your name on the front page with a great story that everyone's talking about. It's just a fantastic buzz. I mean, I'd like to say it's like having sex or something like that, you know? Let's start with the night of the murder from Amanda Knox's point of view. Oh, you mean AKA the, the lamest date night ever? Listen, do I, do I think she did it? No. Do I think she should go to jail? Yes. <gasps> For making me have to listen to her tell the details of the lamest date night I've ever heard. And she's still so charmed by it. I know. <laughs> like the look of wonder in her eyes. The one thing I want to say... This little section does open with something serious that I think is a really good point because people get on her about like, why aren't you more upset? Why weren't you more visibly shaken by this? And she's like, Meredith was my friend for a few weeks. We weren't lifetime best friends. What happened to her was shocking and brutal. And And it it could could have happened to me. Like if she had been home that night, it would have been her. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a terrifying thought to have to live with. But I was at Raphael's apartment the night of the murder. I would like to go through what um, her and Raffaele did on their date Sure. Night. So the first thing that they did um, was they watched Amalia. And I, I can't remember how she says it, but she says it wrong. And she says it wrong like a whole bunch of times. Because she's saying the accent. <laughs> we watched Amelie. And I don't mean to sound like a stupid American, but it's Amelie. <laughs> exactly. Amelie? It's, it's Amelie. Settle down, Amanda Knox. I know there's an accent. I know. So then she gets a text from her boss, Patrick, at the bar. And in the middle of watching Amelie, I got a text message from Patrick saying that I did didn't have to come into work and I was like yes she responds to that text message and we'll get to that later mm-hmm. what what happened there they make dinner okay this all of this is in red because I was just like I read to him from a German Harry Potter book okay pause <laughs> so you both speak German I hope you both speak German <laughs> I, yes, it's cool that you can now at this point now speak three languages right but German is not um a how do I say this? It's not a language you would use to set the mood, I would say. (laughs) There are a lot of comedy bits about how you're just, everything you say, you're just screaming in German. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying, you know, not to offend any of our lovely, fantastic listeners. Yeah. But it's not like the most gentle language. Not hot, guys. Um, What's the next thing they do? Well, they hung out, they talked, they made made goofy goofy faces at one another. (laughs) I wish you would just say we got stoned. I wish he would just be like, we smoked some pot that was laced with some pretty good shit. Like, just say, it's okay. You're acquitted. You're exonerated at this point. What are they going right. to do? But then, I don't know. They might just try her in absentia like they did the other time. So who the hell knows? And then they, to, to use Amanda's words that she uses several times throughout the documentary, made love. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to vomit when people say that. They knew each other five days, by the way. Well, listen, speaking as a gay man, I'm like, that wasn't the first time, was it? <laughs> It grosses me out when people say making love. And I get it. Like, your reputation, your international reputation is as now a quote whore. I know. So I understand that some PR person told you to say, say make love. 
but just stop. Yeah. There was, I think there was at least one point where she said sex. She was Did like she? our whole life, you know, it was like smoking pot and sex and case closed. What a slut. Yeah. Like, I, right. <laughs> oh, it's infuriating. Somewhere Nick Pisa garbage is like, ha ha. I won. I love that. Nick Pisa garbage is totally a thing. <laughs> Hashtag Nick Pisa garbage guys. His Twitter account is locked. It does exist. It's locked. It's private. It's private. What a douchebag. Well, listen, he's literally like, he's literally the monster of this movie. Sure. She might've killed this girl, but this guy's the monster. He loves every minute of I it. I know. So the next morning she like gets, I love this. She's like, I walked home. Translation, stumbled down the hill. Walk of shame. It's okay. So <laughs> we call it. Stride of pride, girl. Oh, I like that so much better. Totally. Um, Where the hell have I been? Why have I, am I just hearing that? Again, gay man. Sorry. Our sex positive language. So she goes home and like, what the hell happens? This is, this whole description is, uh, is fascinating to me <laughs> because she walks in, the door's already open. The first thing that I saw was that my front door was already open. Now for me, maybe as a New Yorker, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> That's panic mode, (laughs) alarms ringing in your head. But also, you're in college... Yeah. You're in, you know, this beautiful foreign country. You're that might be what you did. Over like, as, as well. Yeah, or just like, hey, leave the door open for me. Uh-huh. You probably like got drunk and lost your keys. Like you're 20 totally. years old abroad. Like that maybe that I can understand why that isn't really so much of a red flag as it would be for me right now <laughs> as a born and bred New Yorker. Then she goes into the bathroom and there are drops of blood in the sink. Yeah. To which she's like, hmm. <laughs> And they're just a few drops of blood, whatever. And I just, again, (laughs) would think, would I would at least like start looking around. Like start connecting the dots, Amanda. Like, interesting, weird. Let me just rewind. The door was open and now there there are drops of blood in the sink. Mm Mm-hmm. But she thinks, whatever, I'm just going to get in the shower. Yeah. With the door open. Again, like, haven't you seen Psycho? Let me take like, all my clothes off and get soaking wet. And be super vulnerable. Like, yeah. do you know how many people are scared of taking a shower when no one's home? Yeah. But I want you to know, I know where this story is going, and I can feel my gag reflex. I just want you to know that. Okay, I know. We'll get through this together. <laughs> so then she takes a shower, and then when she comes out of the shower, she notices even more blood on the bath mat. Yeah, like, but like a lot of blood. Still not in panic mode yet. But there's only some spots of blood and then that, so maybe someone cut themselves, something like that. So she starts to dry her hair. Yeah. In the middle, get ready. I literally can feel my gag reflex. And this is what I don't understand. Also, because there's a visual... Okay, just go ahead. I know, I know, I know. I can't believe... I'm like, Netflix, a little warning. Jeez. (laughs) Or blur it or whatever. Anyway, so I'll just get to the point because I've already spoiled it. So in the middle of her drying her hair, she like glances over into the toilet and there's poop. Like a full poop and you guys if you've seen the documentary you know that there's like they take a video they, there's video you, you they show it you see it because it's evidence it's so disgusting i'm gonna die but that means so if she glanced over that the toilet seat was open right it just feels like and whatever like we know from the beginning of the home video she's like a flighty weirdo a self-admitted yeah flighty weirdo but there are just so many things i don't know i always but put then myself, what does she say she's like at that point at that point like things got weird that's gave me the creeps so my my reaction to that was like there is blood all over the walls like a jackson pollock and right. this is the thing that freaks you out right and the door's open hello <laughs> like it all starts with the door being open but, so 
she doesn't call the cops. She instead she leaves and goes back to Raffaele's and gets him. And she's like, "Babe, can you come like take a look at this shit in the toilet and the blood all over the bathroom walls and tell me if it's weird?" And then we cut to him and he's like, "You know, it was weird that she took a shower after <laughs> the blood." I know. I saw all this mess. It was very weird, and I was a little bit surprised that she took a shower inside her house without having the anxiety of it. But to be fair, the most of the chaos is in Meredith's room, which we're about to get to. But when she walked in, she was like, "It was just our messy house." Yeah, yeah. Except for the door being open and the blood, and then the other blood and the poop. (laughs) But other than that, it was totally, totally normal. Right. So they call the police. Who then, in step number one of them totally contaminating this crime scene, which we will get into in detail later, they kick the door down, which is fine. Like, sometimes they, you have to do that. No, from Amanda's perspective, and this made me, okay, I don't want to say laugh because that's, that's awful. Okay. But, like, it was, it just sounded like, it was as though I kicked the door open. It was like, ah, there's blood everywhere! Her throat is cut! Like, yeah. They're just, like, totally losing their minds. And Amanda's like, well, that's how I found out my friend was dead. Right. These queens in, like, her bedroom... <laughs> Just, like, who can't handle the job they signed up for. Right. Which is another sign of, like, just total chaos, chaos of this They're, like, stripping off scene. their clothes. They're, like, pulling out clumps of their own hair and, like, throwing it down. Yeah. Spitting. Everyone's, just, like, just taking to... off their bra clasp and, like, yeah. throwing it under a rug. Any kind of DNA you got. Anybody. <laughs> they're, like, the JonBenet house. Totally. Like, everyone, can you please just open? Just anyone you got. You got some friends over here. <laughs> Too many gloves on, guys. Take the gloves off. Yeah. And make smear- make yeah. sure you kick your shoes off. Like, really get the dirt all over the place. Thanks. <laughs> but let's lock up this girl. Right here. This one. Yeah. yeah. She looks a little too pretty. She's young and pretty. You guys know what that exactly. means. She's a satanic sex demon murderer. <laughs> Clearly. So one of the one of the big things that was made a big deal of was like Amanda and Raffaele were behaving really inappropriately. This was like infamous footage. Yeah. It's all they put. Where they're like outside and they're it's nothing. They're totally like holding each other and kissing the way you would if you found your friend's dead body in the house that you should have been home and you should be dead too. They both look horrified. One quick thing. What? She's way out of his league. And it is so apparent in that video. They fell in love. Anyway, back to the important story at hand. So idiot prosecutor starts to like investigate the crime, but not before telling us how much he loves the Sherlock Holmes movie. Right. Sherlock Holmes, per esempio. And and he says, the thing I love about Sherlock Holmes is that he can get clues out of seemingly insignificant details. He also, there's one clip of him smoking a goddamn pipe. I know. Yeah. At one of the trials in the end, he literally is like Sherlock Holmesing it out in front of the courthouse with his pipe. I'm like, we get it. I you know. think you're Sherlock Holmes. You're not. So what, the, the evidence that he points to as to like why it had to be Amanda Knox, he says, why was Meredith covered? Female murderers tend to cover the bodies of female victims. A man would never think to do that. He literally says that. Yeah. He, he could also immediately tell that it was a staged break-in to throw off the suspicion of somebody who had access to the house. Right. Instead of maybe thinking, like, here's another idea. Maybe Meredith brought someone home. Right. Like, there was no forced entry because someone came home with the person <laughs> because they're 20-year-old girls in a foreign country living their lives. <laughs> What monsters? Exactly. Horror, horror monsters. Total whores. So, okay, so what happens two days later? They bring Amanda back to the apartment. Again, let's just have everyone traipsing through the crime scene. <laughs> they were having me go through the knife drawer to see if any of the knives were missing. So basically, they were asking me to see if there was the murder weapon missing from this drawer. And it just all hit me all at once. And I became hysterical. And she starts sort of like hitting her ears with her hands. And idiot prosecutor says it's because as if there was a memory of something. Right. 
And so, but Amanda's like, oh my God, now I'm back in this house and I'm like sifting through knives and I just saw someone who was obviously brutally killed with a knife and I'm here and I'm in a foreign country and I'm alone and oh my God. Yeah. Totally. What a monster. And I was saying, like, anybody anybody who listened to Serial Season 1 could tell you that you can't base a person's innocence or guilt based on their, like, reactions to things. That's just, like, I, I keep wondering what kind of, like, three-day weekend detective school this guy went to, you know? He just watched a bunch of Sherlock Holmes <laughs> and read a bunch of the stories. Exactly. And then three days after the murder, they wiretapped their phones. Right. And there's a very typical, like, 20-year-old girl dumb conversation that takes place. Except for the fact where she's like, Amanda, you're going to look back on this and think it was the best year of your life. That's what I mean. I had a really bad day today. Fuck, man. Like, being in the police station, I'm incredibly nervous, and I always feel like I'm about to burst into crying because I'm just, like, so upset. Don't worry about it. Remember, when that happens, go, wait, I'm in Italy. And I'm with Raphael. And I'm 20. And I'm going to look back on this year as, like, the best year of my life. That's a dumb 20-year-old girl thing to say. How dumb do you... Like, when this girl watched this documentary about her old friend and had no idea she was going to be a part of it, like, what do you think went through her mind when she, like, heard the beginning of that phone call? Oh, thank God they didn't show my face. (laughs) And no one can really, truly identify me. That's (laughs) true. But then also, like, I will say, and again, no, you don't know your phone is tapped. But Amanda's like, I had a really bad day. Uh, Amanda, your friend was brutally murdered a couple days ago. Like, yeah. I think you're fine, girl. Yeah. And then this is like, now she's being interrogated. So, yeah. like, that is a bad day. Totally. Like, how else do you describe it? You've, like, never in anyone's wildest dreams or nightmares, rather. Right. Could they imagine being in this situation? I don't know how I would describe it. Yeah, that's true. It was a bad day. Like, at its core, it's <laughs> okay, a fine, I take it back. Strike it from the record. <laughs> God! Oh my God, is this our first fight? <laughs> so on the night of November 5th, which is three days after the murder because the murder happened on the 2nd, we know, what happens? Well, Raffaele is called into the station, the police station. And even though Amanda wasn't called, she went with him. I would go too. Right. I would be scared to be left alone that they would kick in my door, his door, and get me, you know, totally. like... Oh my God, also, are you going to go back to the house that where your friend just got murdered? Probably right. not. So they were strongly, strongly questioning him, like really, really wanting to get stuff out of him that he was just like, um, yeah, I don't, I, we weren't there. That night, I know that I was in my apartment. I know that I spent the night with Amanda. I know she slept with me, but they were not satisfied. And then when that wasn't working, they started saying, well, she doesn't care about you. She's a slut. She's a cow. All of these horrible things to try to get him to say, you know what? You're right. Let me change my story. Well, they also tell him that he's in trouble. Like, we don't believe your story and you're in big trouble. Right. And that's when he starts to change his story. After a long time, the reality around you turns to twists and doesn't be so clear. Raffaele signs this statement that says, the truth is I was home alone and I didn't see Amanda until 1.30 a.m. Right. Blatant lie. Total blatant lie. Because it's been hours, they're smacking him around. Yeah. You have been, this has been a crazy three days. So he admits, he says, my reality is now becoming unclear. Right. This happens all the time. If you're eye rolling listening to this, it happens all the time. People get broken down and then think, all right, well, if I just tell them this, they'll let me go. Right. Because they say, if you just tell us this, we'll let you go. Right. So because Amanda happens to be there, once Raffaele starts to change his story, they're like, Oh, hey, Amanda, in the waiting room. Just so you know, Raffaele's turning on you. So they get Amanda in a room, and, and they're like basically telling her that Raffaele's turning on her. They know she did it. She's like, I, I couldn't have done it. I, my alibi is this text message exchange between me and my boss, Patrick. Her alibi the night of the murder is... 
Patrick Lumumba, who we mentioned earlier, her boss at the bar. So she explains the text message she gets the night of the murder of him saying, guess what? It's too slow. You're off. Go have a super lame date night. And she's like, cool. (laughs) So then she says to Patrick and she explains that what she says is, okay, we'll see each other later. Have a good night. She writes it in Italian. Right. They pulled up this text message that I had sent to Patrick, which said, ci vediamo più tardi, buona serata, which literally word for word is, we will see each other later, have a good night. So that is what normal people say all the time. Like, all right, great, see you later, have a good night. The police decide that that means that she made an appointment with him. Literally, I will see you later. And they said, no, what this literally means is you are going to see someone. You made an appointment with someone and you don't remember. Didn't give a time or a place. Right. So this is a reach, everybody. (laughs) But they just kept saying, they just kept telling her that. You made an appointment with him and you were confused and this is what you did. And out of her frustration, she goes, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I don't know what the fuck's going on. But they they think that she's cursing them out. He thought that I was yelling, fuck you at him. And I was like crying. And um, at a certain point, a police officer slapped me behind the head and was like, remember, and then slapped me again and said, remember, like, get your brain straight. And I broke. So she breaks and she's like, all of a sudden she's like remembering like Meredith screaming and like seeing the front entrance to their house and, and thinking about her boss, Patrick and his brown leather jacket, his brown leather jacket. And I thought that meant that I was remembering that he had killed her. She yeah. just like signs a statement saying that Patrick did it and now she's a um, accessory to murder. And, and so they, the police are like, we don't know what the hell is happening. You're all under arrest and we're charging all of you with this murder. All three of them get arrested and go to jail. So the next, the next like thing that happens is we get back to Nick piece of garbage, the writer for the daily mail. Right. And he's talking about how he's like, this guy is so slimy. He's getting all of these statements and documents from the authorities. Right. And using them as, Breaking news on the Daily Mail. The lawyers are the key ones. I would get alongside one of the lawyers. He would hand me over the statements. I think the photocopying places in Perugia must have made a fortune those days. So there's this statement that Meredith's friends and Amanda were all in the police station together, which for whatever reason, obviously. And one of Meredith's friends says, I hope she didn't suffer. And Amanda being like common sense, like... Amanda goes fucking of course she suffered her fucking throat was cut yeah and remember amanda walked in on this scene right exactly and it is it is a very pollyanna thing to say mm-hmm. i mean of course you hope she didn't suffer right but you know she did yeah and it's that's horrible i'm not undermining that i'm just saying like right. of course of course that would elicit a very strong reaction and meanwhile this like slimy hot reporter is talking about like all these front pages that he's getting out of this he's like it's one front page after another after another it was a feat he says feeding frenzy yeah this guy i mean it was a feeding frenzy for everyone basically i mean you were getting front pages i don't think i've ever had so many front pages <laughs> front page after front page page lead in the paper after page lead just story after story and he they do say that amanda was doing cartwheels and exercises in the police station where it's like amanda girl help yourself <laughs> please i know that like we it's everyone deals with trauma in their own way i know we've said it a million times yeah. and that's all true but like you ha- at this point you right. were just broken down and you were convinced to lie by right. the police stop doing cartwheels try just maybe sit quietly i'm sorry <laughs> not to be like i know it's that's like exactly what they want from you but sometimes you got to learn how to play the game and dance the dance you know <laughs> 
So uh, here's the the next thing that happens. It's so awful because part of my question is like, where are your parents, girl? God, if my daughter was sent to jail in Italy, I would be mailing her nail files and I'd be on the next plane figuring out how to tunnel underneath right. to get my goddamn daughter out. You would like find a way to teleport. Like your yes, body, like your energy yes. would just be like, and now I can teleport. I cannot like- believe that Amanda Knox's mother did not love her enough to figure out how to teleport. <laughs> You know what I mean? What a monster. She comes from a family of monsters. <laughs> but seriously, gets- like, I love the mom's like, well, sweetie, I'll be there, but I've got a bridge game. I don't know. Like, what is she doing? Maybe it just took her some time to get a lawyer and get their life together and get on a plane to Italy. Maybe. Fine. It would take me three minutes if it were Daisy. It's not a love contest, everybody. We all love our kids. <laughs> so the mom shows up and there's tape of it. I, I don't like. I love that there's tape of it. I don't know how they got the tape of it. Probably but, secretly and illegally. Yeah, it's totally. Exactly. The thing that is so mind-blowing about this meeting is that this is the moment that Amanda finds out that this is like an international story. That really struck me. That Amanda, at this point, doesn't know that anybody outside of this little town has any idea what's happening. Right. But it's everywhere. Yeah, and meanwhile, I mean, the whole world... It's watching. Yeah. The lawyer said something interesting. They said Amanda's been caught up in something that's way bigger than her because this turned into this huge international bullshit story. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Everybody in the family has been assaulted by a meeting. It's gone crazy. So let's go back to sleazy hot writer for a second. What is like? T- talk about what he's what he's saying during this time about what he's able to find. It's- oh, he, he lights up like a Christmas tree whenever he <laughs> says something absolutely horrible that happened to one of those oh, people. Great picture of Meredith. Ugh. we already had good pictures of Meredith. She was a terribly attractive woman, and now we've got Amanda Knox involved as well. Pretty blonde girl, twenty something. It had. That sexual intrigue, girl-on-girl crime, if you like. Sir, have you never seen a documentary? You don't know how this footage is going to be used against you. Right. You know what I mean? He's so proud of it. I know. So he's talking about, like, how, you know, how they're able to find these great pictures of Meredith. And, like, they get on Amanda Knox's MySpace page, and that's when they find out that her nickname is Foxy Noxy. Yeah. Finally, you have her own name for herself, Foxy Noxy. It was a, a perfect headline, really, and a perfect name. So what's the big picture that he finds that he can't, that he just thinks is so funny? So there's this picture of her, like, being goofy. She's at, I don't know, some museum or something, and she's like, there's a machine gun. This picture pops up on MySpace of Amanda Knox with a machine gun, laughing hysterically as she was firing it. And we're thinking, wow, great. She's a complete and utter nut job. No, it's not her machine gun. <laughs> She's not sending any political message. It's just a gigantic gun that she probably never, ever saw before or ever was near. Right. And she takes, like, some stupid picture and puts it on freaking MySpace, and they're like, aha! But so at this point, we see her becoming the femme fatale in the media, which is, like, such an old-school, like, expression. But, like, we see her literally becoming, like, hot, young, you know, Bonnie Parker murderess. Right. La femme fatale, la dominatrice, Amanda, mangiatrice di uomini, Amanda the man-eater. And one of the most disgusting things that happens in this case is that the Italian police, they tell her that she has HIV. Oh, my God. And that she will be getting AIDS. And how do we, how do we know this, Jillian? We know this because now Amanda is in prison and she's like, oh, my God. So she has this diary and she starts writing and trying to figure out who she has slept with in her life and 
who she used protection with, and she's pretty sure. And she's just really trying to document what happened because she was just told, not only did she have HIV, but she's straight up 100% getting AIDS. Yes. So we know this because she kept this diary that was smuggled to this hot, disgusting You have to stop calling him hot because he's, like, ugly from within, and I hate him. And this was all in her diary, which, again, was leaked. I mean, I... I mean, I managed to get hold of it as well. I think I was probably one of the first people who managed to get hold of it. So the thing that happens is he gets this diary. He publishes it. The, the documentarian asks him, where did you get that from? And he says, well, we, never, we never reveal our sources. That's the key thing. Because you do that and then you're just betraying all your journalistic principles, aren't you? Because now he has integrity. Suddenly he gets some integrity. Oh, my God. The one thing I will say in the disgusting from within hot from without journalist (laughs) is that he makes the point that people were saying to him during this time that he was a monster for reporting on this case. At the time, people were saying, oh, how could you do that? How could you cover such a story? And how could you be involved? And, And yet at the same time, these are the same people who are logging onto the Internet first thing in the morning trying to find out the latest details, you know? But still, even the way he describes it after the fact, like there's no realization now, all these years later, separated from it, where he's like, what I did was sleazy. He's like, what the hell was I supposed to do? Not release her diary and air her whole sexual history and now include seven more people in this whole story? Like, hello. I know. Okay, so what happens next? Yeah, real quick before we move on, Patrick Lumumba, her bartender boss at the bar who texted her and said, hey, you don't have to come in. And then she said the awful, all right, see you later, have a good night. Right. He has an alibi, and yeah. it's totally His clear. alibi are the 17 people that he didn't need Amanda to serve that night that were at the bar that were like, he didn't kill, he was making me drinks. He wasn't, he didn't kill anybody. But for some reason, that doesn't make the police say, well, then that totally negates her statement, doesn't right. it? exactly. That just doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, but right. she's a little too pretty. <laughs> okay, so then like, the next major plot point is that the police go to Raffaelli's and find not the actual murder weapon. They find a knife that matches the characteristics of the knife that was used in this murder. Well, that that's enough for me. <laughs> like, what are you talking I know. about? I know. So, but then what we find out is that they, they DNA test it. Amanda's DNA is on the handle. That fine. That makes sense. She like basically lives with Raffaelli. Mm-hmm. But the big like dun 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 moment is that Meredith's DNA is found on the blade. So mm-hmm. as a, somebody watching the documentary, all you know is that like Meredith's DNA is on the knife. Amanda's DNA is on the knife. And it cuts to Amanda and she's like, I could not explain. There was no reason for my DNA to have been on a handle and Meredith's DNA to have been on the blade. It was impossible. And then there's the bra clasp. They find traces of... It's the bra clasp that they found in Meredith's room. Under a rug. Under a rug. And it's just, you know, it's horrible to see. It's a very, it's just like, yeah. it's bloody and it's just, it's a... They yeah. keep holding up that bra as though like... Like, the, like it's the murder weapon. And I'm like, <laughs> you guys, calm down. Calm down. I know. And so... Also, Sherlock Holmes would never do this. Sherlock Holmes <laughs> is so much better at what he does. Just yeah. Side note, just saying. So they find this bra clasp and it has Raffaele's DNA on it. So another like dun-dun-dun moment. We don't know why. All we know watching the movie is that his DNA is on the bra clasp, which doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to stop here for part one. You guys, it gets just more bonkers and more insane. We find new suspects, and we get to the bottom of this crazy thing. Yeah. So we're not going to do a crazy outro here. Go download episode two. You can get it right now, and we'll see you in a minute. Bye. Bye. 